Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Hey, we get to, we're around, around, around at home base, we're around in third base right here on our series. And so we, we, we kind of rounded second last week. If I can use a baseball illustration for you, we're getting to third base. We're coming home uh, to the home stretch of this Prayo Bay series. Uh, I pray it's been a blessing to you. It's something you'll come back to often, I hope, in your, in your life because God will continue to, to lead you and call to you and challenge you. Uh, and as soon as you think you know, you've kind of arrived, something else is going gonna, is gonna to come. You are never a finished product until your heart stop, stops beating. So the series will be something you'll, you go back to often. Uh, uh, today, we're going to talk about the attitude of obedience. And next week, I want to talk to you about the promises of obedience. The Bible says all God's promises are yes and, and amen. And so I want to show you what it looks like to live in the fullness of, of, of the obedience that God has called you to live in. But today, I want to talk to you on the attitude of obedience. How many of you know attitude is everything? Mm, one person. <laughs> Did you know... That the attitude you come in here uh, in worship, it, you can feel it. Did you know that? Like, I can feel a little bit of, of drain in here today. Anybody? I'm, like, I'm, I'm not saying you, you feel that, but I feel that. I feel sometimes it feels like we're on a ride. Like, I mean, you remember Donny Park? We're on a ride, and whee, we're just going. And sometimes it feels like this room, and I don't want to offend you, it feels like it's a, it's a donkey, and, I have to ra- and I dra- I'm dragging you, right? And it's an attitude thing. Sometimes the attitude changes the environment. You come in with an attitude of expectation, and literally sometimes you feel it. You're like, man, this feels really good in here today. Other times you come into this place, you're like, man, it feels like, like everybody is kind of tired or worn out, or there's been too much you know, news you've read, or you're depressed from Tuesday night, or whatever else is going on in your life. And it's just like, man, and the attitude is everything. Like, I teach this to my kids, right? Like, I, I, I coach soccer, and every year, without, without a shadow of doubt, you get different attitudes on your team. And I usually, if I'm lucky, get a few tigers on my team. You guys know what a tiger is, right? It's the kid that goes out there and he doesn't stop. Like he just runs people over, pushes people, kicks the ball really hard. He doesn't care who's in front of him. Usually hits somebody in the face at least once or twice a week. Usually and on the other team at some point you hear the word owie, right? Which I want to tape and I want to replay for you when you're 19 and let you know you're not that tough. You used to say owie, right? And owie <laughs> comes to your thing. And, and, and I, from time to time I have a parent come to me and they're like, sorry, sorry. Sorry about my kid's, you know, aggression. And I always tell them, I say, listen, don't be sorry about this. You should be thankful for this. And I say, listen, you can tame a tiger. We can work on calming him down. But you cannot make a cat a tiger. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you, you, there's a, we have a lot of cats in our world that are licking and wiping and all. But you can't, you can't. Don't you ever apologize to me for your son going out there kicking butt and taking names. Let's not apologize about that. We're, we're going we're gonna to get that in the, right, in the right thing. Attitude is everything. I remember when I played baseball, uh, there's certain kids that are just made to play certain positions. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, and so I had, a, I had a catcher. You guys remember the movie Sandlot? Uh, he looked exactly like the catcher on Sandlot. His name was Chuck. Isn't that a perfect name for a guy that looks like the kid on Sandlot? And, and, and he's a catcher. And, and, and we used to call him Chunk, right, because he was a, a bigger guy. Not in a mean way. 
It was his nickname. We all had nicknames. I played with, with Chunk for uh, about seven years. So Boyertown does baseball right. You don't, you don't get on a new team every year, don't keep score, you know, no, no winners, no losers. Everybody, everybody gets a trophy. No, no, no. In Boyertown, it starts in, 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 in pretty much knee high, which you're, which you're five, six, seven years old, and you stay on the same team. If you keep playing, you play with pretty much the exact same players all the way till you're 12 years old. It's awesome. And so what happens in Boyertown, I don't know if they still do this, but you develop rivalries. You end up like not liking each other. I know that's like, you know, in, in our day and age, it's like, no, everybody should shake hands at the end of the game. No, no, no. We were 1980s bas- NBA basketball type of era. Walk off the field. Don't tell them they did a good job. If you lost, just get off. You know what I'm talking about? Like there was, it, and we, we, had, we had rivalries going on and Chuck, Chuck, Chunk, Chuck, whatever you want to call him. He was just like, it was questionable if he had ever washed his uniform in seven years. And he was just made to be the catcher. Like, you, he was loud. He, he would just, you, you know, the ball would get dirty. He'd just wipe it all over his jersey. Like, he would always have some kind of joke to tell you. He would call timeout, run out. Like, he was, he was perfect for the role of catcher. I'm not sure what happened to him. But in my head, if there was an attitude of a catcher, it was him. Attitude is everything. And I want to teach you this today because it's a really significant aspect of, of what I will call uh, obedience. Attitude is this. You break it down like this. It's the way you, 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 the way you think, the way you act, and the way you respond to life around you. You don't get to control everything around you, right? But you do get to, re- to control the way you think, the way you act, and the way you respond. That, 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 that's what makes up your attitude. And I love this principle in Scripture in Colossians 3. Watch what, watch what Paul says. He says, whatever you do, this, if, you, if you have a life, if life verses, if you're that kind of Christian where you're like, there's verses that I, I, I say to myself, often this is one of them. Watch what it says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. What, whatever you do, right? That's why I hate the way sports are right now because kids, it's not whatever you do. Work as hard as you can. It's like, eh, just get off the field, right? Work as hard as you can. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ Jesus you're, you're doing what? You're serving. Whatever you do, wherever you go, if, you, if your job is to wash toilets, you wash toilets like you're doing it for the Lord, right? If your job is, is a cashier, you, you do that as if you're doing it for the Lord. Whatever you do, if you own a business, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be exciting to just hire people that fit into this category? Whatever you do, you come in and you do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. If you want to change your life, if you want to step into the correct attitude in your life, if you are constantly waiting for the Lord to open up the next door of greatness in your life, how great are you currently at the door that you're in or the room that you're in? What does it look like? Whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it for the Lord and not for man. That's what attitude looks like. In fact, the environment that most influences your health and your chances of attaining spiritual or even worldly success is often in your attitude, in, in, the, one, in the way you think between your, your, your ears. I've taught this for years, that the right attitude in every aspect of your life often brings God's anointing over everything in your life. The right attitude least, what's God's anointing? You guys, I want to make sure. God's anointing is his crazy ability to make things happen that could never happen without him. That's the anointing of God. You you feel it. There's things that in my life that I'll say to you that if God didn't step in, there is no other way this would have happened. That's the anointing of God. The anointing of God. The right attitude leads to the anointing of God. Why is this such a big deal? Why is this so important? And I want to explain it to you like this, and this is maybe the most important thing I'm going to say all day to you, is the reason it is so important to have the right attitude is obedience does not always bring instant results. 
Come on, I got to feel you a little more today. <laughs> Obedience does not always, sometimes it does, sometimes you obey and it's boom. But obedience in your life does not always bring instant results. The return on obedience is guaranteed, but often it is a long-term process. And if you don't have the right attitude, often it will disrupt your arrival to where God wants you to be. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you four really simple attitude shifts in your life that are really important if you want to see the fullness of God's promises in your life. You need to understand, sometimes you do the right thing. You ever been there? How many of you have ever tithed and something blows up in your car the next week? By your laughter, I know you know what I'm talking about. How many of you, that's not even talking about tithing. How many of you ever done something nice for somebody? You're like, oh, God, God watches. I'm going to buy somebody's coffee at Wawa, right? You get in your car, and you get a call from your wife, right? Our toddler uh, was, was out at, 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 at watching TV by himself, watching Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or whatever. It might have happened in my house one time. And he took a toy, and he threw the toy into, the, into your TV, and now it's broken. The day you buy somebody something, you're like, what? what's up with that, God? I want a bigger TV, not a broken TV. You're supposed to bless me, right? Like this, this is the kind of, some of you, you you've, been, you've been single. You broke up. You did, you obeyed God, and it's been a lot longer than you want it to be, and you still haven't met the right person, right? Some of you have been at a job, and you've been doing everything as if you can do it for the Lord, and you got passed over for that promotion you were supposed to get. And you're about to, to quit or, or not even quit. You're just not doing what you were doing before. You're just doing it like everybody else because, heck, it doesn't matter anyways. And a lot of times your attitude will keep you from arriving at where God wants to take you. So let me give you four attitude shifts. Number one is this most important one, the foundation, is you're going to live your life with what I would call the attitude of obedience, not outcome. O- obedience, not, not outcome. I wish they would have told me this as a pastor in, 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 in early on in Bible college. They don't, they don't you ever notice in school, they don't teach you a whole lot of things you actually use when you get out of school. Like, we need to teach kids normal skills, like ironing. You know what I'm saying? You know, come on. Ironing, like, uh, like, like how to put, fill, put something in a dishwasher, folding laundry, right? Like, stuff like that. Like, life skills. Budgeting, right? Like, not spending more than you. Maybe you're teaching them all sorts of math from all over the world, right? That you have to figure out this problem. You basically have to take a detour to get to two plus two now. It's four, right? You don't do math the same way as you used to do it. And I'm like, just teach them how to budget. Teach them how to give. Teach them how to be generous. Teach them how to work. Teach them how to show up on time. Here's the thing. You can't teach your kid how to show up on time unless you show up on time. That's just another sermon, right? Teach them how to show up on time. Teach them, teach them all those things, right? And, and in Bible college, what I have found is you learn a lot of things that don't help you. I'm not going to get on an on, 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 on egg crate here and start yelling about how awful Bible college was. I met my wife, right? So that's, that was worth it right there at Bible college. But there's a lot of things that I learned at Bible college that I have never, ever, never applied again. One class they should have taught me is this. Listen, when you start to be a pastor, it's going to suck. <laughs> I mean, it's going, it's going to suck. 90% of you, 90% of you are not going to retire. This is a true stat. Are not going to retire doing what you think you're going to do when you get out of college because it's going to be so difficult. 90% of you. It's going to be much more difficult than you think it is. We're going to teach you all sorts of theology, right? All sorts of theology, in this class, you're going to know how to argue your faith and convert somebody. What they don't teach you is most people who don't go to church, they don't care. 
You're going to learn all these fundamentals of your, of, of your denomination and what you believe in the history. And I haven't had one person come to my church that was supposed to be at my church in 15 years and say, what denomination are you? That's an awful, awful way to make your decision, by the way, of church. It's not what mission are you on? Where are you going? Can I be a part of it? Can I give? Can I serve? Can I sacrifice? What do you have for me? And so they don't teach you this in class. And here's what happens. You get out, you get out of school. You're all gung-ho. You're like, I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. I'm going to do this. You set six-month goals. You ever been there as a, as a, as a person in your life? I'm going to have six-month goals. I'm going to have five-year goals. I'm going to have 10-year goals. All this stuff is going to happen. And you start running and you start going. And all of a sudden, nothing is working out like you want it to work out. People are leaving. Somebody's mad at you. Somebody's arguing over how loud the music is. Somebody's taking their ball and going home and then you move here to Pennsylvania in 2005 and you get a whole nother plan well listen it did work out great here but here where I'm from people get me they know me they're going to stick with me we're going to build this church within a few months we're going to have 300 people coming to this church we'll probably write a book at some point about how fast this church is growing I gotta tell you something there's been a lot of my life that I've lived uh, in in heavy doses of disappointment of heavy, of heavy seasons of, this isn't working out the way that I want it to work out, which is, which is life. And I found out in my life as a follower of Christ, not just as a pastor, but pretty much in any aspect of your life, that your main goal of your life cannot be outcome. Because if, if it's outcome, if the only reason you're following the Lord and doing what he says is because of, a, of, of an expected outcome that you assume he's going to bring to you, as soon as it doesn't turn out like that, that outcome, guess what happens? You peace. You're like, this is too hard. This isn't working out. The Lord forgot me. You know, I'm not doing it. And this is what happens in churches and pastors. This is what happens with business leaders. This is what happens with teenagers who go to their first job because the Lord tells them, do everything you need to do as if you're doing it for the Lord. And you go to your first job and your boss is mean to you and they want you to show up on time and they want you to do your job and they don't want you to stand around on your phone. And you get fired and you have your mom and dad call them and you're like, they, they, they just did this. And, and you're like, wait, it doesn't work. Or I need to get a different job. I need to get a job where they get me. Right? You ever been there? And you're constantly being rescued from, from, from uh, situations you, need, you don't need to be rescued from. And here's what you need to understand. The, the main point of your life is to be obedient. Listen, your job is obedience. you got to listen to this. God's job is outcome. Your job is obedience. God's job is outcome. You, if you're a parent, you ever been there with your kids? Man, I hate when my kids, my kids they, 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 they are so manipulative, right? They, they want certain things, and so they act a certain way, and then I'm on to them, right, because I, I know them, and then when they don't get it, what do they do? I'm not doing that anymore. You're like, no, no, no. Listen, the point of, of why you're doing these things and why I have these rules and why I want you to get these chores done is not so I'm going to give you a reward, is because I want you to be a blessing to whoever you marry someday. So you need to understand, I'm teaching you these things so that you can succeed in life. No, I want to do these things, and as soon as I do these things, I want to know how much you're going to give me. You ever have your kid come and ask you if they can do something and you can give them some money? You're like, bro, I give you money every day. It's called life. Every day you take my money. 
and I walk them over to our pantry and I pull out the little thing of goldfish and, and the cereal that they eat and the, and the fig newton bars and, and the tasty cakes that they eat and all those other things. And I say, this, this, is, this is pay. And then I go to the refrigerator and I show them all, this is pay. And then the chair, take them over to the chair and I say, this, this is pay. And, and, they, and you ever have that conversation and this is what we do with God. Well, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to give to me? And God's going, man, I already gave it to you. I gave you my son. I gave you breath in your lungs. I've been better to you than you deserve for me to be. And if I got you to this point, you can trust me that I have the whole thing figured out. But your main job is to be obedient. My job is outcome. I want to teach you a a phrase that I want you to say oftentimes in your life. And the phrase is what I would call, because you say so. You ever been with a parent? Why do I do that? Because I said so. Well, no, no, no. What does that mean? Because I said so. You know, parent, how much time have you wasted with your kid just because I said so? And at some point with God, you're going to waste a lot of time when you're always like, yeah, but explain this to me. You get to the point in your life with God where you just go, because he said so. This happened in scripture in the book of Luke chapter 5. You can read it. I don't have time to read the whole story to you, but Peter's fishing all night. Uh, and he catches nothing. So listen, if you're a fisherman at that point, the point was to catch fish, right? You ever meet somebody like, I want fishing. Did you catch anything? No, but I had a great time, right? That's not this. Like, you fish, you catch fish. So they throw their net out, throw their net out, throw, try both sides, catch nothing, come in at the, end of the, at the end of the shift, have caught no fish. Jesus is on the shore, and he says, let's go back out. He gets in his boat, sails out, and, and he says, throw your net on the other side. And Peter initially has an argument, and it's like, hey, we already did this. We didn't catch any fish. But then he says this, and he wises up, and this is the game changer in Peter's life. He says, but because you say so, I'm going to do it. Throws it out. The Bible says that he catches so many fish that they're overflowing from his nets. He's pulling them into his boat. The boat is starting to sink. He has to call his friends over to put more fish in the boat. He could have never done that outside of the power and presence of Jesus in his boat. But do you see the mentality that got him there? Because what? Because you said so. You will do your life well if the rest of your life, all you think to yourself is whatever, whatever you told me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live my life with a ridiculous Focus on being obedient, and I'm going to let you decide the outcome of my life. Obedience, not outcome. Let me give you a few more. Calling, not comfort. Calling, not comfort. I, I want to I I t- explain you something. If you want to be used by God, comfort is probably your greatest enemy. If you want to be used by God, let me make it practical. If you want to be in shape, what is your greatest enemy? Comfort, right? Comfort. You got to get up early. You got to go to the gym. Can't eat that Twinkie, right? You can't work it off in the gym. You get, you get bulk in the gym. You get cut in the kitchen, so I've been told, right? Like you can't, what's the greatest enemy? Comfort. What's the greatest enemy right now to you stepping outside of whatever career that you currently have, knowing that God has said it's over, it's time to go on to something else? What's the greatest, greatest enemy? Comfort. It's comfort. Usually, usually Satan will turn the comfort up a little more. Usually a little more money, a little more opportunity, a little more prestige will come. Comfort is your greatest enemy. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it's comfort. If you read the, old, the New Testament, there's not a whole lot of comfort going on. The guys are locked in jail, sharing the gospel. They're being persecuted. They're being beaten. Uh, they're, they're losing family members. They're losing everything, right? The greatest enemy to you becoming who God has called you to be is comfort. And so what you're going to do is you're going to develop the attitude of calling, not comfort. What, what's calling? Calling is becoming all that God has created you to be. Put your hand right here on your chest real fast. Everybody do it with me. We're not pledging. I want to do something else real fast. You feel your, you feel your heart? 
You feel it? You should feel it. If you don't, you're dead. <laughs> you, feel, you feel it? It's beating. Somebody once told me that's called purpose. That's called, that's called purpose. Your heart's beating. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. But here's the thing about it. It's usually a lot more uncomfortable than you want it to be. It's usually stepping out a lot more than you would really want it to be. And you need to understand that you need to develop a calling, not comfort mentality. And here's, here's the question I always ask myself, and this is the one I learned when we moved to Pennsylvania, because I wanted God to use my life. And I didn't realize in order for God to use my life that there's a lot of discomfort that I would have to go through and still have to go through. I remember in America, you want your life to do this, right? So when you buy a house, your next house is your, is, your, is your dream house. You buy your first house. It's your starter house. And, if you, and, and then you buy, you buy your next house. So your first, your first place is usually an apartment with, with a bunch of borrowed stuff, right? And then the next house, you go move in, and you're like, I don't got anything. And you start buying stuff. And then you move to your, your third house mo- most of the time, and it's your, it's your forever home. And, 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 and then you just kind of keep going. Maybe, maybe your forever home, maybe God it, it explodes your expectations. You move to the, the big baller home, right? And so that's kind of how, how we move in our life, and that's how you expect to move. But here's what I found in following Christ. Sometimes he moves the other way. Like, I bought my first house at, at 24 years old in, in Oklahoma, right? And I went to my first house, and, and it was $109,000, just to let you know my first house, how much it was. It was amazing, an $833 a month payment, right? And so uh, I had my first house. I still remember it. And I was like, okay, I'm on the move. Here we go. This is success. I'm going to the next house, and I'm going up, moving on up, right? And so I'm going, going up. And then, and, then, and then my father called and said, you want to move to Pennsylvania? I said, yeah, let's move to Pennsylvania. Let's start this church. I got to Pennsylvania. I remember, I remember going to house hunting in Pennsylvania in 2005 and 6. You guys remember what it was like then? They, were try- they, they literally were selling cardboard boxes for $200,000, right? You'd walk in, they'd be uh, paneling, no air. Like, I just remember walking in and, and we left and we just cried because we couldn't afford a $200,000 house. We had a $100,000 house. We moved here. We started a church. We took pay cuts. And I remember looking around being like, and then renting an apartment with pink carpet that cost almost $1,200 a month to start this church. And I remember thinking to myself, God, this is not how it's supposed to go. I'm supposed to go up, moving on up, dream house, and then the next dream house. And then, God, you just keep expanding my, my, my territory. And I just remember the question that he brought to my head. And the question was, are you willing to have less to follow and fully obey me? Are you willing to have less? You want to know what I said to him? No. <laughs> no. But it wasn't, it wasn't a question that I got to answer like that. And he was like, okay, cool. The answer was, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to trust me. You might have to go backwards to move forward. You might have to step down out of a prestigious position to go into what God has called you to be. You might have to sell some things. This, 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 this is weird to us in America. You might have to give some things up. You might have to downsize in your house. You might have to stop spending so much money on, on, on your clothes. Man, man, somebody, he's going to call you to adopt a kid. You might have to sell all of your kidneys. You're going to have to go, like I'm just saying, like God's going to call. The Bible says that religion that, that, that the father loves is into adoption and taking care of the elderly. Like that's what he's looking for in his church. But it's expensive and you might have to get rid of a couple things or not be able to go on that dream vacation to do what God has called you to do. And at that point, you're going to have to develop the attitude of calling not comfort. Let me just give you two more quickly. Uh, number three is you're going to develop the attitude of this one's good, right? Because we are, we are a worrying people. I bet if I took a poll and I said, how many of you struggle with anxiety? I, w- I would get at least 50%. 
It's the weirdest thing. We live in, in the most affluent, blessed country in the history of the world, and we are the most worried people ever. Think about that. We have more than any generation has ever had. I was watching a documentary on Frank Sinatra this last week, and I was looking. And there is parts of me that's like, man, I would like to go back and live through that. And then I was reminded as I was watching it that there was something called the Depression and World War I and World War II and all these other things that were kind of going on and, and the fear of getting an atomic bomb dropped on you. Remember that? I remember thinking to myself, nah, I'm cool with this. COVID, I'll take that, right? And... and and I just think to myself, we, I'm there with you. Like, we live in, in one of the most blessed countries maybe ever in the history of the world. Even now in 2020, we, we, we worry all the time. We're, we have anxiety all the time. And I want to I explain to you that the attitude you need to develop is an attitude of waiting, not, not, not worrying. Worry uh, looks like this. I, I wrote this down in my notes because worry often comes from Satan. And worry uh, loves loves to feel rushed. You ever you feel that sometimes? Loves, loves the feeling of being rushed, being frightened, being pushed, being confused, being stressed. Uh, if you're discouraged right now, it's probably because you're, you're spending a lot of time worrying. Uh, those are the feelings of, of worry. But, but when the Spirit comes into your life and He develops this attitude of weight, that God has the ability to still, still you in the middle of a calm. You ever feel that? That's that moment where everything is swirling around you and you just go... I'm fine. I'm fine. He's still got me. You feel still, you, reassured. You ever been there? It's not working out the way it's supposed to work out yet, but it's going to. That was 2005, 6, 7, 8, 2019, 2020 here. This isn't the way it's supposed to work out, but it's going to work out. It just hasn't come yet. It's coming. We're going to see that next week, but it just hasn't come yet. But you have this, this feeling of being reassured. You're, you're, you're calm. You're encouraged. You're, you're comforted in the middle of this difficult season. You see, worry is one of, great, of Satan's greatest tools against the believer. Because here's when you worry, you make really bad decisions, right? Some of your worst decisions have come in the middle of being worried and stressed and having anxiety. Some of the moments where you quit doing what God has called you to do. Why'd you quit? Worry. So you're going to develop a spirit of waiting on the Lord. Watch the promise in Scripture. I'm going to give you one this week. Isaiah 40. Watch what it says. But those who hope, hope is physically waiting, right? That's what it is. Hope and wait, same word. Those who hope, those who wait on the Lord. What do they do? They're going to renew their strength. Watch what it says. They're going to soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Remember a couple years ago, we were in Oklahoma, and uh, we, we went to Ross. And my kids, I've created shoe monsters. And so I, lo- I just have always loved shoes, right? I just, since I was a little kid, I just remember being infatuated with Michael Jordans and things like that. And so uh, they also carry, carry that as many, many, many kids do today. So we went, to, we went to Ross in Oklahoma in a town called Shawnee in a mall that reminds me of Coventry Mall. It's just a few years ago. And we stopped and he had, he had $35 and he went to the shoe section in Ross and he he found these ugly James Harden basketball shoes, right? I mean, they, they were ugly. Like they were, uh, they were, they were so ugly. I'm just gonna let you. But he could afford them. And he was like, "You like these?" And I don't lie to my kids. And I was like, "No, those are awful, man. You buy those, you're, that's gonna be one of the greatest regrets of your life." <laughs> and so he was like, "No, no, these are cool. You're James Harden." I'm like, "Just because they have a name doesn't mean they're good." So we went through this whole argument. Anyway, they didn't have his size. I was like, "Thank God." 
And he, he's one of those kids, he's like me, he wants instant gratification. And so he's like, well, can we go look somewhere else? So we're in the middle of this mall in Shawnee, Oklahoma. It looks like Coventry Mall. So as you can imagine, the options are limited. So he starts walking around the mall. He's looking at stores. He doesn't have enough money because he has $35. He just doesn't have enough money for anything good, right, as far as basketball shoes like he wants. And so uh, I said, just can't, you're just going to have to save up. You're not going to be able to get anything, right? And his, he was, like, devastated. Like, I had just ended him, right? So we just, we left Oklahoma. And we got home and went to the outlets and, and walked by the Nike store. He's like, can we go in the Nike store? I'm like, yeah, sure. So we walk into the Nike store. We're looking around. And I tried to raise, raise up my child uh, with wisdom. And so if wisdom says, don't start at the, at the full price stuff, where do you start? Clearance. clearance, right? Always start at the clearance, right? Don't pay full price for something. Just wait. It'll go on sale. That's how I was taught. And so we walked all the way back to the clearance section. And they had one of the first generation Michael Jordan white uh, mid-range shoes. Not the first ones, but like the second or third. And it had Spike Lee's face on the back of them, right? They were like those, they were so cool. And they were $30. 30? And I was like, and he bought them and I was giving them a sermon in the store. <laughs> this is what happens when you wait on the Lord. You could have settled, you could have bought those ugly James Harden. He was walking around. You ever, you ever put a new pair of shoes on a kid? Instant, instant, you know, you know, toughness comes. An instant, oh, look at me, I can jump. I'm like, you can't jump, man. And he's just skipping around. He's walking around looking at his shoes in the, in the windows and all stuff. And I'm like, this is a great illustration on waiting on the Lord. You're going to wait. You're not going to worry. It hasn't happened, come on, yet. Hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. Why? Because I serve Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of my faith. He has written the entire story out from beginning to end. And just because there's a comma or a semicolon or whatever else I'm waiting on doesn't mean it's over. He hasn't come through yet, but it's coming. I'm going to wait, not worry. And last one, this, this one is, is my favorite because, I, because uh, I made up this word at the end, but, but, but I couldn't think of a word to rhyme. With. But in, in the best thing you can do right now is, is what I would call gratitude. Don't develop a bad attitude. You know how many times the Bible says, you ever, you ever pray, what's the will of the Lord in your life? What should I do? What's the will of the Lord? Watch this, watch this one passage in 1 Thessalonians 5. Watch this. It says this really simply. Give thanks in all, that word all is important, circumstances, for this is what? God's will. What are you supposed to do? In every circumstance, this, this is why, this is why our worship is different from week to week. Why? Why is it different from week to week? Because a lot of times we get into a circumstance that we are not fully happy with. Right? So sometimes your, your worship is inconsistent. You come in here one week, you're like, man, I'm feeling it. I'm driving, hands going in the air, I'm clapping, I'm, you know, church swaying, whatever is going on. The next week you're biting your nails, you're looking around, you're worried, you're here, but your mind's not here. What happened? Circumstances have changed. What's God's will in that moment? Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. In every situation, I'm going to lift my praise to the Lord. I'm just going to keep being obedient. I'm going to let him do what only he can do. It's uncomfortable right now, but I thrive in discomfort, right? Put some more weight on it. I got another spiritual set in my life. I'll even do leg day right now if I have to, Lord. Why? I don't mind being uncomfortable. I'm not going to worry in this moment. I'm not worried. Why? Because God hasn't come through yet. But the Bible says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint.
And in all circumstances, my attitude is one of gratitude. I'm not going to let a at- bad attitude come up in my spirit and begin to impact me in my worship and impact me in my home and impact me at my work and impact my conversation with my kids because I'm frustrated right now. And every situation that I go through, my job is just to worship the Lord. Why do you think, by the way, we start with worship? You think it's in the Bible? Like, there's not like this, this thing in the Bible where God's like, are you going to sing four songs, 29 minutes? I'm going to a video, come up and talk. You know why we start with worship? Because worship creates an atmosphere. It sets the tone. It sets the tone where God can do amazing, life-changing things in our midst. So let's do, let's do one more thing. Let's, st- let's stand to our feet all over our houses. And I'll, just bow your heads for me. Uh, just clo- close your eyes. And I know Laurel was just playing by herself, and I'm definitely not about to start leading you and singing. Uh, that's not going to happen. But maybe, 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 maybe the first, the first part of worship, you were, you were kind of down and distracted, and uh, you're not happy with what's going on in your life, and you're, uh, you're a little bit overwhelmed, and you, you missed that first part. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a, in a denomination uh, that, that wasn't very outwardly driven by their faith, and you've, you know, lifting your hands and singing is just kind of odd uh, to you and different to you. Uh, it's biblical. The Bible says, uh, holy men lift up your hands everywhere. The Bible calls us to sing with our lips, to make a joyful noise. And so this is the way we do this. And here, here's the thing about lifting your hands, universal sign of surrender. Isn't that weird? It's a universal sign of surrender. Some of you in the middle of a situation, uh, you need to surrender to the Lord. So maybe, maybe without looking around, worried about the person beside you, because oftentimes this drives the, the atmosphere of your worship, right? Because you're worried about somebody looking. Nobody's looking around. I promise you, everybody's got their eyes closed. If they don't, I'll tell them. Close your eyes. And maybe, maybe right now you would, just, you would just shoot your hands towards heaven as a sign. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give thanks in this moment. I'm just going to give thanks. And I'm not asking you all over the house to do it, but maybe that's where you're at. I'm just going to give thanks in this moment. Nothing, nothing's gone my way. What I thought would happen, uh, the, the, I stepped out. And, and, and I obeyed the Lord, and man, it, felt, it feels like I, maybe, maybe I didn't hear him, or, 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 or it's gotten more difficult. And, and just so you know, in, in my life, what I have found is when you start to do what God has called you to do, you become a threat to Satan. And when you become a threat to Satan, all hell often breaks loose in your life. So maybe some of you are just facing what you're facing because you're on the doorstep or the precipice of a breakthrough in your life. God is about to take you to the place. And so maybe you would humble yourself right now. I know some of you, you didn't grow up in church like this. Very normal for me to lift my hands towards heaven. That was the tradition of the church that I grew up in. That, that, that's a sign of honor and respect. Maybe you've never done that before. But I believe even that sign or even that moment, something's going to break in your life as you go, here I am, Father. Here I am. Here I am. Take me. Take my situation. God, I know you're going to come through. God, I know you want to move. And as you're there right now, just pray. Man, that's just you. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands down in a second. You just have a moment with the Lord. We got a few moments still. Maybe you're here right now and, and people are praying all around you and you just need to humble yourself before the Lord, period. That's what a relationship with God is. It's a humbling of yourself. It's a, I can't do life on my own. I'm not in control. I'm tired of being depressed and weary and heavy laden. And it's this moment in your life where the Bible says you humble yourself before the Lord and he's able to pick you up. Maybe in a very way, that's where you're at. You're overwhelmed by life. And I want to tell you, of course you are, because you were not made to do it on your own. 
Some of you have found success on this side of, of, of eternity, but it still is leaving you wanting. Why? Because what you want and what, you're, what you were created for is a relationship with your Father. And He loves you more than you can imagine. And He's here right now. The Bible promises where two or more are gathered in His name that He'll show up. And friend, when He shows up, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. Life-changing things happen. So maybe you're here right now and you say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with, with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, but I want to. I want to. The Bible says if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is God, that he came to this earth, that he died on a cross for your sins, that he rose in power, that it's through him that you have your sins forgiven in the promise of eternal life, that if you would take that message into your life and you would let go of everything else, that you would follow him, that he would change you, that he would set you free, that he would adopt you into his family. You see, you're his creation, but you are not yet his child. We hear that often. Everybody is God's children. No, no, no. We are all God's creation. Me and you get adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. Such a great word, friend, because that word adoption, if you think logically about that, when you adopt someone, you're choosing them. They don't have a family. They don't have rights in their own life. They're not in control. And a loving father and mother swoop into their life and look at them and say, listen, I didn't make you, and you're not physically mine, but I'm taking responsibility. I choose you. I want to watch over you. I want to take care of you. You're not my son. You're not my daughter. That's what the Spirit of the Lord does here. It's an adoption ceremony. I choose you. Some of you never felt that before in your life, ever. You felt left out. You felt ridiculed. You felt like no one sees you. No one cares about you. No one even cares if you wake up tomorrow. I can promise you there's a creator that does. And he chooses you today if you would receive him. So I'm going to ask you in a second. Uh, some of you are already in the middle of the Lord doing something significant in your life. But I think it's profound when you recognize that moment by responding to Jesus uh, with your hand in the air. Saying, here, here I am. This is my moment. October 4th, 2020. That's my day. That's the day that I committed my life to Jesus Christ. So if you're in Montgomeryville, you're right here in Phoenixville, you're watching online. Online, we're not going to know you raised your hand, but maybe, maybe you would just let us know right there in the comments. Hey, I'm deciding to follow Jesus Christ right now. This is my moment. But if you're physically in these rooms right now, Montgomeryville, Phoenixville, and you say, hey, pastor, that's me. Today I want to humble my life uh, before, before God. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you all over our houses, in faith, would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven so that I know that I'm praying with you as we close? Come on, there's a hand right here. Is there anybody else? Hand in the back. Two hands in the back. Yeah. Another hand right here. Is there anybody else? Hey, Pastor, that's me. Yeah, hand right here to my left. Is there anybody else? Hey, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to pray with you as we close. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we're grateful for what you've done in this place. We're grateful for your word. For scripture says and promises that it never returns void. I'm grateful for every person who walked through our doors, who's listening to this message online, that you knew, know them. You knew what they needed to hear. And Lord, you had planned this entire moment out to change them forever. Lord, that's what's happening. They're, 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 they're done being the boss of their own lives. And the Bible says they're yielding control. That's what you do when you accept Jesus. You yield control of your life. Say, I can't do it on my own anymore. I recognize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And in that moment, the Bible says you receive them like a son or daughter of the Most High. They're adopted into the family of God. Lord, that you're never going to leave them and you're never going to forsake them. That in this moment, uh, one of the greatest promises is their name is being written in the Lamb's Book 
book of life and so that when they pass from this, this, this moment, this earth, this temporary existence, that the next breath that they have will be with you in heaven. Lord, they have that hope, they have that life, they have that purpose right now. It's happening right now in this moment. They're a brand new person, a brand new person. Lord, we're grateful for all that you continue to do. Thank you for moving through your word. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to worship you with our mouth and with our hands. Thank you for showing up and doing what only you can do. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. In your name we pray. Come on, one more time. Let's shout amen. Let's clap together. Hey, let's clap really loud for two people in Montgomeryville and somebody online. Come on. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.